Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. There is a difference between hearing and listening. Do y'all remember that? That anyone can hear, but not everyone listens. There's a difference between hearing and listening. I preached that sermon two weeks ago. Do y'all remember it? Okay, if not, that's because you weren't listening. There's a difference between hearing and listening. And out of all the sermons that I've preached in the years that I've been in ministry, through the travel, through teaching, through having the great privilege to open up the Bible and teach God's word, out of all of the sermons I've preached, that one sermon has gotten me in more trouble than anything else else, that anyone can hear, but not everyone listens. And the reason is, it's not because it was controversial. Okay, trust me, I say controversial things all the time. I'm probably going to say something else, so don't get offended. Just let me know. Put a seatbelt on. It's coming. But it's not because it was controversial. And it's also not because it was unorthodox, or it was heretical, or it was like watered-down, seeker-sensitive message. It's not for that reason either. And and it's also not because it was some social justice, hot button political issue. That's not the reason that it got me in trouble. Here's the reason that it got me in trouble is because I am a hypocrite. Let me tell you a story that happened in the Ellis house just last week. So one of the things that me and my wife, what we like to do is um, to be able to keep the marriage growing and thriving and healthy is we like to have regular moments where we sit down, have face-to-face, heart-to-heart conversations. Those of you who are married, those of you who are engaged, those of you who want to be married, or those of you who want to stay married. That's important. Face-to-face, heart-to-heart conversations. And so one of the things we do is we go sit in the, in, in the back room of our house. We have a big brown couch. So we go and we sit on the big brown couch and we like to have these conversations where we're just checking in with each other, right? Hey, here's what's going on in my life. Here's what's going on, you know, in Esther's life. You know, she just got into Mother's Day out. Praise the Lord. That's amazing. You know, here's, you know, what's coming up this week. Here's what's going on in the church, right? Here's a meeting that I have. We are just constantly checking in and we're just talking about what's going on, what's happening in our lives. And so we're sitting in the back room on the big brown couch and I am talking to my wife and she is just pouring her heart out. My beautiful, lovely, amazing forgiving wife is just pouring her heart out. She's telling me, here's my hopes, here's my dreams, here's my aspirations and everything that I want to do. And as my beautiful, loving, forgiving wife is pouring her heart out to me, guess what I'm doing? Now, do you think that I am, that I'm leaning in? Am I like, oh babe, I totally hear you. Do you think that I'm, that you think that I'm loving her well? You would think, oh, Pastor Byron, he must be, he must be listening and hanging on every single word that she says. No. As she's pouring her heart out, here's what I'm doing. I'm on my phone. I'm scrolling through the, in, the infinite feed of Instagram and of Facebook, right? I'm pretty sure that I was doing something very important. I was probably sending an email. I was probably making a very gospel-centered vision-casting post on Redemption Church, inviting a whole bunch of people, and everybody's going to get their life changed, and there's going to be a massive revival that happens in the city, and, and we're going to reach as many people for Jesus as possible. I'm sure that's what I was doing. Something very holy, something very important. I'm pretty sure that that's that's what I was doing. Okay, but that's probably not what I was doing. So as my wife is sitting there pouring her heart out to me, and I'm just staring at my phone, and my wife, she stops, and she looks at me, and she says, you're not even paying attention. Without missing a beat, I said, babe, I hear you. You see where this is going, don't you? She says, Byron, 
You hear with your ears, but you listen with your heart. I'm like, busted. Right? Out of all of the sermons that she remembers, that's the one that she remembers that anyone can hear, but not everyone listens, right? And that's the same way that it is with our relationship with Jesus. That oftentimes in our relationship with Jesus, that's exactly what happens. That Jesus is speaking, that God is speaking. The problem is, is that we aren't always listening. So consider this. Right now, you're at church, right? Welcome. We love you. Glad to have you. Right now, you're at church. You came here. You made it, right? You you drove downtown. You got a nice little parking spot, right? You, You came in, right? You checked the kids in. You grabbed you a coffee. You met somebody on our serve team. You came in. You started worship. You sang a couple of songs. Now you're sitting down, and you're listening to what? A sermon. This is God's Word. When you pick up your Bible, when you open your Bible, when the Bible is being taught, this is God's Word being revealed, who He is, what He says, what He does, and what He wants to do in your life. And so every single week you come here and you hear a sermon. But the question is, are we listening to God's word? Are we just hearing or are we listening? Are we taking God's word and applying it into our lives so that way we can live a different life? Because every single week you come and you hear a sermon. And then next week, you're going to come back and you're going to hear another sermon. You're going to go to your community group and you're going to sit around and you're going to talk about the sermon. And then you're going to download it on iTunes or the podcast or you can watch the 10-minute message on YouTube and you can listen to the sermon and you can listen to another one and you're going to come back and you're going to get another one. That we hear and we listen to so many messages and so many words and so many sermons. But my question, my cause, my concern, my pause for many of us today, is it making any difference in your life? See, it's one thing to have a different, a, a decent sermon, but it's something else when it begins to make a difference. You see, the goal of a good sermon, the, the message, the, you know, the aim, the means, the reason is not that you would have more information, but rather that you would experience transformation. The goal of a sermon is not that you would just know a lot, but that you would do just a little bit more. The goal of a good sermon is not that you would just hear a good word, but you would leave here and you would live a godly life. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to tell us today. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. And the big idea is that Jesus preaches a sermon. Okay, and here's what Jesus is going to say. The key verse comes in verse 23. He says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the same thing that Jesus says in Mark 4, 1 through 20. He's saying, you need to hear this. Open up your heart. Listen, accept, receive, believe what it is that I'm about to say, because this is very important. If you get this, then everything else makes sense. But if you miss this, then you are going to miss everything. I need you to lean in. I need you to open up your ears, open up your heart. I need you to listen to what it is that I'm about to say. And so when Jesus says, all you who have ears, let him here, this is the same thing he said in 4, 1 through 20, because he is making this point again. This is a continuation of the previous sermon that Jesus preached last week, and he's saying this is very important. You need to pay attention. He says, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure that you use, it will be measured to you, and still will, more will be added unto you. Okay, what does Jesus mean by this? Now remember, this is in the context of a sermon that Jesus, he is preaching to a crowd. He says, with the same measure that you use, it will be measured unto you. What does that, what does that mean? That those who have, more will be given to them, but those who do not use what they have, even what they have will be taken away. You think, that's a little confusing. That's a little weird. What does he mean by with what measure that you use? 
Okay, remember, in the context, Jesus is preaching to a very large crowd. We're in Mark chapter 4. We have seen the crowds over the past several weeks. Sometimes upwards of 5,000 people show up to see what it is that Jesus is going to do or hear what it is that Jesus is going to say. Jesus, he was a preacher. Okay, a lot of people don't like preaching. That's because people don't like paying attention. But Jesus, he was a preacher. Jesus comes preaching about the kingdom of God. First words out of his mouth was a sermon, right? Jesus comes in and he preaches the kingdom of God. And in Mark's gospel, it doesn't give us a whole lot of attention and detail into the preaching ministry of Jesus, unlike other gospels. Right, when you ever come to Matthew's gospel, Matthew 5 through 8, it's a huge section. Right? It's called the Beatitudes. It's all one sermon about Jesus preaching. And then you'll come into Luke, and you'll look at Luke, and Luke has long discourses where Jesus is preaching about the Holy Spirit or about healings or about repentance. But Mark, he doesn't talk about that. John, he gives lengthy detail about you know, Jesus being the resurrection and the life, or we see the high priestly prayer where Jesus is teaching his disciples. But when you come to Mark, Mark Mark omits most of that. And here's the reason why, that Mark is the simple gospel. Like Mark, whenever he, he writes, it's quick, it's fast-paced, it's action-packed, 42 times, immediately, immediately, immediately. He's telling you, this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus does. But very rarely does he tell us what Jesus actually says. It's only on two occasions does he slow down, and does he focus in, does he lean in and pays attention to two particular aspects of Jesus' preaching ministry, here in chapter 4 and in chapter 14. And what he's telling the crowd, Jesus is saying to the crowd, he's saying you need to pay attention to what it is that we hear. So what does Jesus mean when he says, with what measure you use will be measured unto you? Here's what I think Jesus means that you are responsible for the revelation that you receive. Okay, let me say that again because that was good. You are responsible for the revelation that you receive with what measure you use. So if you come in and you hear the word and you respond to the word with repentance of sin, with rejoicing, with gladness of heart, with you know, good faith and courage that you're practicing community, that you're allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you in your life and that you leave here and you are different than you were when you walked in. If you take God's word and you apply it to your life, then what God gives you, God will add to that. God will give you a little bit more that you're going to continue to grow in holiness and within wisdom and with maturity and with godliness and that you're going to sanctify and become more and more like Jesus himself with the measure that you use. So if you hear the word and respond to the word, then God is going to continue to bless you in your obedience. But if you hear the word and like the crowds or like the religious leaders or like the Pharisees or the other people that we meet in the scriptures, if you hear the word and you don't respond and you don't do anything, well, then you're just going to be held responsible on judgment day. Then that's one more thing for you to give an account to Jesus on judgment day, because God has given you something and you didn't do anything. You are responsible for the revelation that you receive. And this is why it's so important for you to pay attention. I think this is a big problem that I see not just in our church, but in the American church as a whole, that God has given us so much. Just think about what it is that God has given. I mean, beyond things like oxygen and a planet, which are amazing, and beyond things like grace and love and hope and mercy and salvation, which also are amazing. But just think about what God has given us. I mean, today, right here, you have a Bible. 
Just think about this. This is God's word. You have your Bible. God has given you himself revealed through this word. But you don't have to guess. You don't have to get, speculate. You don't have to question. Oh, I wonder who God is. Oh, he's told us. He's written a book for us. That God has shown us just how much he loves us through this word. You have God's word in your hands. Do you know that this is a recent phenomenon? Do you know that only in the last 500 years or so could people actually read the Bibles for themselves? Like 500 years ago, if you wanted to read a Bible, you'd have to go to a, a museum or, or a large church, or you would have to go to you know, so, somewhere in a back room, pull out a scroll, open it up across a large table, okay, and then you had to learn how to read, which one, people couldn't read. Still many people in the world cannot read today, but not only did you have to read, you also have to be able to read Latin. So you're reading Latin in a museum, open, like that's ridiculous, right? You have a Bible, right? And you can read it. And the average American has five Bibles in their home, five Bibles. I mean, we have Bibles about Bibles. I mean, we got ESV Bibles. We have, you know, NIV Bibles, CE Bibles. We have NRSV Bibles, RSV Bibles, NKJV, KJV. I mean, we have Bibles about Bibles in any different translation or any different style, right? You can get it where it looks like camouflage. You can get it black. You can get it brown. You can get it engraved. You can get it with the cross, right? You can get a Bible that's a study Bible. You can get a journal Bible. You can get a teen Bible, a woman's Bible, a leader's Bible, an illuminated Bible. I don't even know what that means. Is it a nightlight? Like, does it glow in the dark? I'm not really sure, but it's the illuminated Bible. We have so many Bibles. This is a wonderful opportunity that we have, and we live in a blessed and privileged time to where we can do this. There are some places in the world where this book is illegal. There are some places in the world where gathering together as a church, just like we are doing right now, could get you killed. We have been given so much I mean, just think about it. If there's any subject that you want to study, you're like, hmm, I wonder, you know, what's Anselm of Canterbury's ontological argument for the existence of God? Guess what? You can Google that, right? If you want to know the difference between Arminianism and Calvinism, go buy a book, right? If you want to learn, well, what is the Trinity, you know? Or if you want to learn like, you know, fourth century heresies, you know, you can buy a book and you can read about that. Like you live in this wonderful, weird, amazing time. It's where there's books and there's blogs and there's articles and there's magazines and there's conferences and there's sermons and there's video sermons and there's sermon series. We have been given so much as a church. And the fact is we do so very little with it. And you know what? We're going to be responsible for that. Because the truth is, is with the same measure that you use, it will be measured unto you. That if you have and you do with what God has given you to if you're faithful, God's going to give you a little bit more. But if you come here, you listen to a word, you hear it, and you do not respond, and you walk away unchanged, and nothing looks different in your life, you're going to be held accountable for that as well. With the same measure that you use, it will be measured unto you. To one who has, more will be given. To the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. What I think Jesus is doing here is very, very important. What I think Jesus is trying to teach us and what Jesus is trying to tell us is how we, how we listen to a sermon. So here's what I want to do. I want to I teach you how to listen to a sermon. In the 1700s, there was what is known as um, the Great Awakening. It was this massive revival that broke out all across the nation. I mean, cities and, and, and states. I mean, people were just getting saved by the thousands. And there was one man who was a pastor and he was a leader during the Great Awakening. His name was George Whitfield. 
And George Whitfield, just like Jesus, he would preach to large crowds, sometimes upwards of three, four thousand people, open field. So where Jesus is teaching this, he's in an open field, he's on a boat preaching to the large crowd. George Whitfield would do something very similar, where he would be in a, a, a field and he would preach. Now, this is before they had microphones, they didn't have megaphones, there was no amplifiers, there was no amphitheaters, they didn't have Facebook marketing, there wasn't a Twitter campaign or a mailing list that he could email out to grab these people. These people showed up because they wanted to hear the word of God. And whenever he would preach, he had this really big voice. And, he, and people could hear him. And his biography says that after he finished preaching, he would actually cough up blood, right? That's what I call a good sermon. So Whitfield, he would preach, and all these people started showing up. And people's lives were being changed. Revival was breaking out. It was amazing. It was wonderful. It has never happened in the nation's history ever since. Okay, but what Whitfield noticed is that as the Great Awakening continued to move, people's passion and fervor for the word of the Lord, it began to decline that people stopped showing up to be saved, they started showing up to be entertained. That people stopped showing up to repent of sin, but rather they just wanted a nice little country club. They wanted this little opportunity for them to spend their day. People stopped showing up because they wanted to hear what God said. People started showing up because they wanted a show. They wanted a performance. They wanted an act. And so whenever Whitfield, whenever he, he began to see this, he became very concerned. He became very you know, prayerful for his church. And he wanted to figure out how he could help curb this. And so as he was reading and studying and praying, he came across this section of scripture in Mark chapter 4, where it says, pay careful attention to with what measure that you use. And he thought, that's really good. I need to tell my people how to listen to a sermon. So he writes this little helpful book that I'm going to share with you right now. It's six, um, six ways that you are to listen to a sermon. I think this is very important. This is written 300 years ago, but it's very important for you and me because we live in a day that is filled with constant, constant, constant communication. Right, that everybody's talking, but nobody's listening. That you can go to college, you can get a master's degree in communication, right? But nobody teaches you how to pay attention. Nobody teaches you how to listen. There's constant communication, instant information, but there's so very little transformation that has taken place in people's lives. And so, and so Whitfield, he wrote this because he wants to help you, and I love you, and I care for you, and I want to I want to be able to teach you how to listen to a sermon. And this comes from George Whitfield. The first thing he says is this. He says, come to hear them, not out of curiosity, but from a sincere desire to know and do your duty. Okay, now, because some of you, you are new to church, right? This is your first time. This is your first time in a long time. And you come into church and it's a little bit different and it's really not what you expected and it's not what you expected to experience. Okay, in the history of our church, two years, we baptized 60 people. Right, so I don't take any of this for granted, and I don't want to assume anything about you. Right, I want to be able to teach you and love you and, and help you as the best that I can. And, and so you come into church, and, and this is all kind of different to you. And, and so you walk in, you're like, okay, well, what are we doing, right? And then you're, you sit down, you're like, so I have to sit here and be quiet for an hour and listen to this guy yell at me? Okay, yes, and it's amazing. Thank you so much. You'll come into church, and you'll be like, okay, well, uh, is the church like a concert? Right, because there's a band and there's there's lights and there's a stage, so is it like a concert? And you're like, no, church is not a concert. Or, or you'll come in and you'll think, well, okay, is this like a stand-up comedy club? Because at least Byron thinks he's funny. Sometimes he says things and I don't really agree, think they're funny. Uh, his dad jokes are pretty cool, but is this like a comedy club? No, it's not a comedy club, but you can laugh at my jokes. That would help. 
And you think, well, okay, is this, is this like a political rally? No, it's not about politics. It's about the gospel. It's not a rally. This is about revival. Is this a test? Is this like school? Are we going to take a test? No, there is no test except for the test of life. That's a dad joke. Okay, laugh. No, what is it? What are we doing, right? This is so different. This is so unexpected. This is not what I wanted or thought I was going to experience. So what is all of this? Well, this is church and this is worship. That when you come to church and you listen to a sermon, this is your act of worship. Worship is not only the songs that we sing. Okay, worship is being able to receive and reflect back the glory that God is owed. And so when you come here and you're listening to, to the sermon, what you're actually doing is you are participating in worship. That you're being shaped and molded and formed by the glory of God so that you can go forth and live a life for the glory of God. This is an act of worship. So when you come here, it's so that way you could desire to know and desire to do your diligent duty before the Lord. So when you come here, okay, it's to, to desire to grow in Jesus. It's to desire to experience Jesus. It's to desire to grow in your knowledge and in your holiness and in your wisdom and your understanding so there can be application so that you can live this new life. It's a desire to experience the presence of Jesus and to experience life change that only comes from Jesus. So when you're hearing and you're listening to the message that's being preached, this is actually a form of worship right now. And so when you come to church, don't come here to be entertained. Right? This is not a performance. This is not a show. This is not a concert. Don't come to church just to be entertained. Don't pick a church because you, you like the pastor and he tells funny jokes and you know, he can make you laugh and you know, he makes you have warm, fuzzy feelings and you cry little tears at the end of every message. That's not the reason that we pick a church. We don't pick a church because it's hip and cool and arty or trendy or the band plays your favorite Bethel songs. That's not why we pick a church either. And we don't pick it because they have your pet religious doctrines or your traditions or whatever your upbringing is. That's not the the reason either that we don't go to a church we don't listen to a sermon out of curiosity oh do they teach what i like do they have what i like do they serve me do they like me is this place that i can do these things no it's not out of curiosity but it's a sincere desire to know and do your duty and so you think okay is the bible being preached is the word of God being opened up? Is the pastor preaching for the glory of God and our people's lives being changed? If so, then that's where we need to be because that's, that's our worship. You come out of a desire to know and do your duty. The second thing he says is this. Give diligent heed to the things that are spoken from the word of God. Okay, this is what Jesus means when he says, pay careful attention. Okay, now the Bible, this part was written like 2,000 years ago. Mark is the very first gospel that was written, right? Some scholars say it was about 60 AD. So let me bring this up into um, modern translation for you. When Jesus says, pay attention, here's what it means. Turn off your phone. Turn off your phone. And you're like, Byron, I didn't even know if phones could turn off. They can. Right, you can totally turn off. There's a button on the side. They hide it from you because they don't want you to do it, but it, you can do it. But if you hold down this button for long enough, eventually your phone will turn off. Okay, turn off your phone. You can do this. I know that your entire life is in the cloud and you're really worried about what people are eating right now, but you're going to be okay without your phone for one hour. You can surgically remove yourself from your phone for one hour. I believe in you. I know you can do it. And many of you are wondering, you're looking at me right now and you're like, but Pastor Byron, okay, what are we going to take notes with? I am so glad that you asked. Some of our senior saints, you guys may remember this. It's an archaic piece of technology that was handed down to us throughout the generations. It is called a pen. 
Okay, you ever seen this? You ever heard of this? It's called a pen. And you can find it in Walmart in a whole section next to murdered trees that we call paper. And if you take this pen and you hold it up and you put it on this paper and then you move it around, it takes notes. Bet you didn't know that. We're a technologically advanced church. You can take notes with pen and paper. So we were like, well, why can't I use my phone? Okay, here's the reason you can't use your phone, because you get distracted. Right? You get distracted. If you're anything like me, okay, you get distracted all the time. Right? You're, you're going to hear something, you're like, ooh, that's really good. Like, I'm going to tweet that. So you pull out your phone, you go to make a post on Facebook, and then you're like, oh, wow, Kim Kardashian got a dog. <laughs> like, well, I wonder what Kanye's up to. Oh, he's doing Yeezy things. You're like, oh, did the Cowboys get a new kicker? No. Are they going to lose today? No, it's a bye week. It's close enough, though. You know? And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, what am I doing, right? What did he say again? I don't remember. I forgot. Why? Because you were not paying careful attention. Put down your phone. Right? So here's what I do. Whenever I go to a conference or I listen to a sermon from somebody else who's preaching, right, what I do is I, I lean in, I listen, I, I bring a, a journal. I have a moleskin journal. I got a pen. And then whenever he's preaching, I'm writing it down. Okay, that's really good. I, need, I like that. I, I need that. Okay, I'm going to do this in my, in my life. Okay, I'm going to bring that back to our church. Okay, that's a good quote. I'm going to steal that. Okay, great. And then I circle everything. And I'm like, okay, that's awesome. See, I want to be able to eliminate the distractions. I want to be able to live in the moment and pay attention to what is being said. Listen, the shelf life on a sermon is so very short. Okay, I get that. I get that by the time this sermon's over, your mind is going to be elsewhere, right? When I finish, you're like, man, that was great. What are we going to eat for lunch? And then you go to Chili's and then you order, you know, your margarita chicken and it takes your server 45 minutes to bring you your Diet Coke. And you're like, well, what did you preach on again? I don't know, but this tableside guacamole sure is delicious. And I got my Christmas shopping done. You're like, what did he preach on? I don't even remember, but I'm pretty sure it was okay. Because you're not paying attention to what God is saying. So you need, to, you need to pay attention. So the third thing is this. Oh, also, let me say this. If you take notes after the sermon, you can pull out your phone and you can take a picture of the notes. Okay? And then you can post it on Instagram with a nice little filter, hashtag we are redemption, and people will think you are so holy, you'll get at least 100 likes. I promise you that. <laughs> Number three. Do not entertain even the least prejudice against the minister. Okay, we live in this day and age to where you can go home, you can stream, you can download, you can podcast the best preachers in the world. You can listen to their sermons, you can follow their sermon series, you can follow their churches and all of their ministries, and you can have it on demand at your fingertips any moment of the day. And you have your favorite preachers. You know what? I have my favorite too. But here's, here's what's going to happen is you're going to hear these preachers and these ministries and these churches, and they're going to begin to judge your church or your preacher based upon them. That you're going to have your favorite preacher. And you know what? That's okay. You're going to be like, oh, I love Stephen Furtick. Stephen Furtick, he's funny, right? He's got those you know, big baggy clothes. He's got the beard and he has the alliterations. And he's like, you know, preaching like this. And he's yelling, he's screaming. He's like, give the Lord a shout, amen. Touch your neighbor. The organ goes off and everybody's like touching each other. It's kind of weird. We don't do it here. But that's what they do. And you're like, that's great, man. And then you come to redemption and very quickly you realize this is an elevation. 
And you're like, well, hey, why don't they do it like that? Or you can think about, you know, Craig Groeschel. He preached this same text just a couple weeks ago, and he didn't say it like this. And then you begin to wonder, well, are they right? Are they right? Are they wrong? Are they wrong? You know, why isn't the same? And very quickly, you begin to realize that you don't go to that church. And if you're not careful, here's what's going to happen. That you're going to become listening critically instead of listening carefully. And you're going to begin to judge faithful preachers, teachers, ministers based upon the ministry of another person. And one great example of this happened just last week in our church. Okay, if you were here, um, one of the deacons, his name was Brandon, he preached and he did a wonderful, amazing, incredible job with a difficult section of scripture that I gave him, but I knew that he could do it and he totally knocked it out the park. But if you saw Brandon preach, you would realize Brandon preaches a little bit different than me. Okay, so whenever Brandon preaches, right, Brandon, he stands behind the pulpit, he's got it lined out, he's got his manuscript, double-typed space, and he stands behind here, he is a faithful, stoic, expositor word, from the Word of God, and he, he preaches from the Word. Okay, that's the way that Brandon does it. Now, the way that I do it is pretty much the exact opposite. I don't have any notes, I got my Bible, and I stand here like a dying man to preach never again, and I just let it go, right? I'm just like, Jesus, 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 and if you missed it one more time, for those of you in the back, Jesus, and my arms are louder than my voice, and I am just freaking out, flailing about, and you know what? Both are okay. Both are good. That we need to be able to listen to people who are different because it's in the diversity of the body of Christ do we begin to realize just how much God is doing in our midst. I love this. I love that as a church, one of the ways we know that we are growing is when people step out in their giftings. And you know what? It's not about the messenger. It's all about the message. And so what we need to do is we need to be listening carefully instead of listening critically because here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Your preferences will become prejudice. That you're going to develop a preference for a certain ministry or a certain style or a certain you know, way in which another person does church. And then you're going to begin to judge faithful teachers and faithful preachers according to a mega church pop pastor who may or may not write their own sermons and miss out on what God has for you. And I want you to get everything that you can and you know what? I shouldn't say this, but I'm totally going to say this. I didn't say this first service, but this goes back to the controversial thing at the beginning. The book of Hebrews talks about, as a pastor, I'm going to be responsible for the people in our church. James, Jesus' brother, he also writes, not many of you should become teachers because you'll be judged at a higher standard. Okay, so do you know this? That, like, yes, you are going to have to stand before the Lord Jesus and give an account for your life, but as a pastor... I'm going to have to stand before the Lord Jesus and I'm going to give an account for my life. I'm going to give account for the words that I said and also the people that I shepherd. Okay, so, so listen to me. Listen to me, guys. I, I really love you. Whenever, whenever we stand before the Lord Jesus, if you're a member of our church, it's going to be me. If you're a member of another church, it's going to be another man. But when you stand before the Lord Jesus, your pastor will be next to you. Don't replace your pastor with a podcast. Because you know what? That man, that person, that ministry, they're not going to be next to you on Judgment Day. Don't let a podcast replace your pastor. Don't let a podcast, no matter how good they are, no matter how great they are, no matter how helpful that they are, 
Don't let the people that God has placed in your life to love you, to serve you, to care for you, to open up the book and shepherd your soul, don't let them do it. Because you know what? When you walk out this door, the goal of the day is not that you would say, wow, what a great sermon, but that you would say, wow, what a great Savior. And it's your pastor who's going to be sitting there next to you along the way. So number three, do not entertain the least prejudice against a minister. But number four, be careful not to depend on him too much. Don't depend too much on a preacher or think more highly of him than you ought. Okay, just so you know, I'm human. You don't know if you knew that or not. I'm human. And you know what? Sometimes I say things and I'm like, wow, that was amazing. Right? That was a total God thing. I can't believe that I said that. And then sometimes I say things and I'm like, wow, that was totally not a God thing. I can't believe that I said that. And what that just goes to show is, you know what? Your pastor is fallible. Right? The Bible, the Word of God, infallible. This Word is inerrant, it's inspired, it's true, it's trustworthy. This is the authoritative, infallible Word of God. Your pastor, not so much. Right? Sometimes I'm going to get things wrong. And that's the reason why it's so important for you to learn how to read the Bible for yourself. Listen, if the only Bible that you get is on a Sunday morning, I love you. Okay? But if that's true, then you're an anorexic Christian. Okay, think about it this way. If a person only eats once a week, we would say that they have an eating disorder. If the only Bible that you get is on a Sunday morning, then you have a spiritual eating disorder. And here's, here's where I love you. Here's where I serve you. It doesn't matter how much I preach. It doesn't matter how great my word is. It doesn't matter how faithful the expository was. It doesn't matter how loud I raised my voice, how much you cried. It doesn't matter how well I preach. If the Sunday morning sermon is the only Bible that you're getting through the week, you're going to be hungry, you're going to be defeated, you're going to be depressed, you're going to be starving, and spiritually you will be dying. If the Bible is the only, if Sunday morning is the only Bible that you get. Okay, and one of the things that so many people say when they leave a church is like, I don't feel like I'm being fed. I don't feel like I'm getting fed. I don't feel like I got fed. Have you ever heard that? Okay, have you ever said that? Shame on you. You should never say that. Because yes, in one sense, it is the pastor's job to feed you. Okay, that's what Jesus tells Peter, the leader of the disciples and the, you know, the first pastor. He says, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. So yes, in one sense, it is a pastor's job to feed the people. But that does not excuse you from learning how to feed yourself. Right? If the only Bible that you get is on a Sunday morning, no wonder you're hungry. No wonder you're starving because you're not feasting on the word of God for your life. And so here's what we're going to do. Every single Sunday, when you come into redemption, we're going to preach the Bible. Okay? If you're new here, we love the book. Right? We believe the book. We study the book. We preach the book. Our entire services are built around the book. We meet in community groups to study the book. Right? We preach this word. We preach the Bible. In our church, we've already preached through seven books of the Bible. Right, right now, we're in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in Mark until the rapture or until Jesus comes back. I don't know how long we're going to be in it, but we're going to be studying the book of Mark. And then in January, we're going to take a small break. We're going to do the book of 3 John. We're going to do the book of Obadiah in the summer. And I think we're going to do Proverbs coming up in 2020. But we're going to jump right back in the book of Mark. Because guess what? We love the Bible. Here, we're going to preach the Bible. So every Sunday, here's what you expect. The Bible is open. The Word is being taught. The Holy Spirit is being experienced through the presence of the Word. Right? And the, the, the sheep will be fed. The Word will be served. We preach the book. But that does not excuse you from doing what God has called you to do for yourself, to feed yourself. 
So think about it, right? So how do we do this? Well, just read your Bible. Right? Read your Bible. When you wake up in the morning, read it. When you go to bed at night, read it. On your lunch break, read it. Right? You can get the YouVersion app on your phone. Not right now. After the sermon, you can get your YouVersion app for your phone. You can get push notifications sent directly to you. Right? There's no excuse, no reason for you not to read your Bible. Read just a little bit. Read just a little bit every single day. If you can't read a book, read a chapter. If you can't read a chapter, read a section. If you can't read a section, read a verse. If you can't read for five minutes, read for four minutes. Do something. Don't do nothing. And don't depend on your pastor to do everything for you. I'm going to go on a rant for a sec, but I have the microphone so I can do that. 500 years ago, there was something known as the Protestant Reformation. You ever heard of that? Okay, it's the reason that we are not Catholic. And so during the Protestant Reformation, there was this renegade monk. His name was Martin Luther. And Martin Luther got really fed up with the church, and he woke up one day and says, I'm going to make a list of 95 things that suck about this church. And so he woke up, and he went and he nailed it on the door and says, take that. And one of those things was the priesthood of all believers, Have you ever heard of this? See, in that day, what they believed is this, that there is a separation between professional pastors and lay people. And if you wanted to learn what the Bible said, if you wanted to study it, if you want to know what it said, well, then you have to go to a priest or you have to go to a pastor. You have to go to a seminarian or you have to go to somebody else because only them and only they had the knowledge. They were the gatekeepers of all the wisdom and of the word of God. And they thought you're too stupid to read this book for yourself. And so you need to come to me and I'll tell you exactly what it is that you're supposed to do. And so the people, they lived in darkness. They were deceived. They were spiritually blinded. They were ignorant. Why? Because they did not read the Bible. And then men like Martin Luther and other women, they had given their lives for the last 500 years. For 500 years, men and women have given their lives. They have risked their lives. They have left legacies with their lives so that you could have this book, so you could know this book, so you could study this book, so you could pay careful attention to what it is that is written in this book. And now it's your turn. Do not forsake. Do not deny your access, your God-given rights into the priesthood of all believers. And don't depend too much on another person to do what God has gifted you, called you, and qualified you to do. Pay careful attention to what it is that is being said. So he says that, number four, and then number five, this is what he tells them. He says, make particular application to your own hearts everything that is being delivered. When you listen to a sermon, okay, when you hear God's word, you should be looking for application, Because it's application that leads to transformation. So what is it that God wants you to hear? If gospel living doesn't become gospel listening, you didn't hear a sermon. You just wasted your day, right? You need to be looking for application. What is it that God is saying? What is it that God is telling you? What is it that God wants you to do? How are you going to get up and live a different life? How are you going to be any different after today than you were the moment that you walked in those doors? You should be listening for application, Here's what you should not be doing. Thinking about Susie, right? Some of you right now, you're thinking about Susie. You're like, Susie really needs to hear this sermon, right? Because Susie's bad, right? I saw her Instagram story last night. She nasty. She needs to come to church, right? Susie really needs to hear this sermon. She needs to get the word of God in her. That's what Susie needs. No, I'm not preaching to Susie. I'm preaching to you. Right? Some of you right now, you're like, ooh, that's really good. And you're hitting your husband in the side. You're like, that part about hearing and listening, that's really good. You need to listen to that pastor. He knows what he's talking about. I'm not preaching to your husband. 
okay, I'm preaching to you. It's helpful. Thank you for bringing him, but I'm preaching to you. What is God saying to you? What is God telling you? What does God want you to do? How are you going to be any different after today than you were the moment that you walked in? Be listening for application. So here's what, I, here's what I do, okay? Let me just give you an example. So I'm preaching right now, and, and you're thinking, okay, well, um, okay, I say something and you want to write it down. So you are responsible for the revelation that you receive. You're like, ooh, that's good, right? I'm going to write that down. And so you write it down, and you circle it, and you go home. And then right before you go to bed or when you wake up with your family in the morning, what you do is you, just, you pull it out and you say, what does this mean? And then you begin to pray through it and journal through it and meditate through it. So I am responsible for the revelation that I receive. So I'm responsible. That means I have to do something. What am I going to do? Okay, so here's what I need to do. I'm responsible now. So I need to pray with my wife. I need to lead my family. I need to, I need to pray with my husband. I need to encourage my husband. I need to read the Bible to my kids. You think, okay, well, here's, here's what I need. I need to go to next steps. Pastor Byron keeps talking about that. I still haven't done it yet. Yeah, I need to go to next steps. Okay, because I'm responsible. Get in a community group. Start serving in the church. I need to start tithing. Why? Because you are responsible for the revelation that you receive. You got to get up. You got to go. You got to do something. And for some people, right, you do absolutely nothing. Right, the last thing that you need is another sermon. Right, the last thing that you need is just to hear more information. Right, some people they come and they say, you know, I don't feel like God's speaking to me. I don't feel like I can hear from God. Why isn't God talking to me? What is God's purpose for my life? What does God want me to do with my life? Why won't God say anything to me? And then I stop him and I say, okay, listen, what was the last thing that God told you to do? Did you do that? No. Okay, well, go do that, and then God will start talking to you again. Why on earth would he give you more information if you're not going to apply it to your life? Why on earth would God give you more revelation if you're just going to continue to be irresponsible? See, the measure that you use, right? The measure that you use will be measured unto you. That means you get what you put into it. So if you follow the Lord, if you trust the Lord, if you repent and respond to the word of the Lord, then God's going to reveal himself just a little bit more to you along the way. This is what's known as sanctification, that you're daily being made into the process more and more into the image of Jesus, that if you're faithful with a little, he'll give you a little bit more, that if he trusts you with a little, he's going to trust you with a little bit more, that if you are obedient in what God has you to, then you will receive the blessings that God has for you right, to the measure that you use. But if you hear this and you don't do anything, then all you're going to have is more responsibility on Judgment Day. You are responsible for the revelation that you receive. So make particular application. It's application. It's application that brings the transformation. And then lastly, number six, here's what he says. Pray to the Lord before, during, and after every sermon. Do you pray before you come to church? You should. Right? You, you should be praying because here's what I know, that you have every reason not to come in the morning. How many of you, it was just like you drove straight through hell to get here, right? I mean, it was everything. It was the hardest thing. You're thinking, I have so many other things that I could be doing right now. This is my day off. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. The kids are driving me crazy. I stepped on a Lego. I poured, you know, buttermilk into chocolate milk and it's everything. And the kids spilt it on the floor and there's goldfish all over the house. I got a flat tire. You know, my husband, he overslept and, you know, I stayed up all night last night trying to do midterms and term papers, right? I'm just losing my mind. There's so many reasons for you not to come to church. And the moment you wake up, the moment your feet hit the floor, that's called spiritual warfare. 
that Satan's going to try to get everything to deceive you and to distract you and to keep you away from coming because he knows this. If you get God's word in your heart, then everything changes. And so you need to be praying as soon as you wake up in the morning. You put your feet on the floor and say, God, this day is yours. God, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to get a word from you and I'm going, to, I'm going to be filled with your presence. I need you. I need your strength. I need your encouragement. I need your hope. Sunday is the first day of the week. It's not the last day of the week. So I'm going to start my day, my week with you. God, Lord, please help me not kill my kids. Please help anything. Right? You start the day with prayer, but you can also be praying before you come to church during the week. Like you can be praying and reading ahead in your Bible and being like, okay, that's what we're going to be studying. That's what we're reading. Okay, I'm going to be praying for that. Prepare my heart for that. You know, open my heart for that. You know, let me be receptive towards that. Okay, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to tell me? I'm praying for my pastor as he's prepping his sermon. I'm praying for our deacons. I'm praying for our serve team. I'm praying for a community group. Preparing your hearts before the week. And some of you are thinking, well, how do I know what the pastor's preaching on? Okay, at redemption, you know, right? This is one of the reasons we preach expositionally. So this week we're in Mark 4, 21 through 34. Guess what we're going to be in next week? Mark 4, 35. And the next week, Mark 5. And the next week, Mark 5. And the next week, Mark 5. And we're just going to keep doing that until Jesus comes or we finish. Either way, we're going to be in Mark. And so you can pray ahead. You can read ahead. You can know what we're talking about before we get here by preparing your hearts. But you can also pray during the sermon. Like right now, as you're listening to me preach and you're listening to me speak, right? You should be praying. You say, you're praying and you're thinking, okay, God, that's, that, that's for me. Thank you, Lord, for that. You know, uh, I repent of that. I need to write that down. Help me remember that. Thank you for that. Yes, Lord, that's a good word. Thank you, Lord. You know, amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, sock it to you. Get a little charismatic. Get a little Pentecostal. You can raise your hands. You can shout. You can amen. You can do any of those things. That's totally okay, right? And you know what? You're thinking, this sermon sure is boring. Well, if you amen me, it might get a little bit better. Amen? Amen. So you can pray to the Lord before, you can pray during, and you can pray after the message as, as well. When we're done preaching, here, don't leave. Don't just be like, wow, that was a good word. Where do you want to go to lunch? And then just bounce. You know, we structure our entire service here at Redemption around this, right? That we start with worship. And then we worship by, res- by hearing from the word of the Lord. And then we worship through our response. So at the end of every message, we, we pray after the sermon. So we have communion in the back. That's for the broken body, shed blood of Jesus. It's a visual reminder of what Jesus has accomplished for us. And when we take of the elements as a church, the presence of Jesus is with us. So we respond by prayer at the Lord's table. We also respond by worshiping. And we're going to sing one more song. And we're going to respond by worshiping and giving back to the Lord. And then we have a prayer team in the back that they would love to pray for you. That if you need help, if you need hope, if you need healing, right? If you need a miracle in your life, if there's something going on, you know, relationally, financially, if you need any of that, if you just need a hug, right, then you can go to the back and they would love to be able to do that for you. When we finish, don't just leave. Stick around and pray. And some of you are thinking, well, that's just not for me. I'm just not a prayer. That's fine. But there's a hundred other people in this room. Please be respectful when your brothers and sisters are being ministered to. Don't just dine and ditch, get out of here and leave. Stick around and pray and respond to the word of God. Listen, guys, listen. The word of God is powerful. The word of God is true. The word of God is trustworthy. And I believe this. I wholeheartedly know this, that if you get God's word in your heart, God's word will change you. Listen, this is not just another sermon. This is not just another Sunday. That this is what God is trying to communicate so that way when you hear this and you apply this in your life, you will never be the same again. 
Listen, there is so much that wants to keep you away from coming here. There is so much that wants to keep this not from happening. Every obstacle in your life, every, every opportunity that Satan can to steal the word from you. I mean, you have 10,000 reasons every single morning not to be here. And when you come here, I want you to lean in. I want you to focus on, I want you to pay careful attention. And I love you and I care for you. And I don't want you to waste your Sunday. I want you to get everything out of a sermon that is possible because I believe that when you get God's word in your heart, your life changes. Listen, as a church, if there's only one thing that we can do, if we can only do one thing as a church, it's for us to preach the word. Okay? Because everything else is a response to the word of God. Right? Everything flows from the word of God. If there's one ministry, if there's only one ministry, if there's only one opportunity, if we could only be known for one thing, it should be the preaching of the word of God because everything else flows from it. Why do we have women's ministry? Titus 2 tells us to. It's a response to the word of God. Why do we have, in, why do we have uh, prayer? It's because it's a response to the word of God. Why do we have children's ministry? Why do we have you know, intercessory ministry? Why do we have outreach? Why do we have community groups? Why do we have um, serve team? Why do we have deacons? Why do we have any of the things that we do? Every ministry that we have is birthed out of a response from the word of God. Because as a church, we are responsible for the revelation that we receive. And it all flows from, comes from the Word of God. And I truly wholeheartedly believe that if you know this book, if you read this book, if you love this book, if you study this book, that God's Word will mold you, shape you, form you, transform you, and that you will know who God is and how we are to live. I want you to love it. I want you to read it. I want you to study it, memorize it. I want you to grow because I know that if you get God's Word, everything else changes. Amen? That was my introduction. If you got your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 4. We're going to be in chapter 4, verse 21. And Jesus is going to preach a sermon. Jesus, he's going to preach, right? And he's going to tell us three things about the word of God. The first thing he says is this. He says to them, Is a lamp brought in under a basket or under a bed, not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, and there is nothing in secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure that you use, it will be measured unto you, and still more will be added to you. For to those who has more, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So three things about the Word of God. Jesus says the, the first thing is this. The Word of God is practical. Do you remember when you were a little kid that you would sing this little light of mine? Do you remember that? Do you remember that? I'm not going to sing it for you, okay? But it is good. What, do, what, do little light, what does this little light do, right? It shines. You know what makes that song so, so helpful? It's theologically accurate. It's doctrinally true. It's straight from the words of Jesus. But do you know why it's so important? It's because it's practical. Even your kids get this, right? What do you do with the light, right? You let it shine. Do you put it under a basket? No, right? Do you put it under the bed? No. Well, what do you do? You put it in the middle of the room. That God's word in your life is to be in the middle of your life. That it's to be in the center of your room. And by the light of the word of God, everything else is illuminated. That you see the world through the visible, tangible, simple, practical lens of the word of God. Listen, the Bible is not complicated. Some people, they want to make it complicated, but it's, 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 very, it's very simple. right? The Bible is simple enough for a child to swim. It's deep enough for a doctor to drown. But the Bible is simple. 
right? You want to you wanna be able to understand? Here it is. Jesus, Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus is God in the flesh coming here on a rescue mission to seek and to save the lost. Jesus comes. He lives the perfect life. He dies the painful death in our place. That Jesus goes to the cross. That Jesus goes to the grave. He resurrects. Give us hope, grace, mercy, redemption, salvation, and a new life. And in this new life, your life is supposed to look different because Jesus is the light. The word of God is a light. And by it, everything else begins to change. So you need to let the light shine, right? So in your marriage, you need to let the light shine. At college, you need to let the light shine. If you're single, pursuing holiness, let the light shine. If you are, you know, at work, if you're at school with your children, let the light shine. This is so simple, so practical. God wants it to be very easy for you. And it's so practical that even our kids understand how to do it. If you got a light, let it shine. So here's my question for you, right? What area in your life do you need to let the light shine? Okay, I want you to write that down. You think, that's good. I got to go back and do that later because I was hearing the sermon. So first thing is this. The word of God is practical. The second thing is this. He says that the word of God is gradual. 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows and he knows not how the earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts down the sickle and the harvest has come. Jesus says the same way that a farmer scatters seed, he doesn't understand it. He doesn't know how. Okay, he's not a scientist. The farmer's not a botanist. Right, the farmer, he's just a farmer. And all the farmer knows is if I take this seed and I put it in this ground, then eventually, slowly, surely, gradually, I will get a harvest. And that's the same thing that Jesus says about the word of God in your life. That if you get this word, if it plants down, if it digs down some roots, it will grow, not overnight, but over time. That day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, slowly and surely and gradually, God's word will cause you to grow. And that you'll look back on the totality and the existence of your life. And you will see from the last day just how much God has caused you to grow. First it was a blade, then it was an ear, and then it was the harvest. And when you breathe your last breath and you close your eyes and you open them and you see Jesus face to face. And he says, well done my good and faithful servant. Welcome home. Here is your harvest. It doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen overnight time because God's word is gradual. First an ear, then a blade, and then, and then comes the harvest. And I was thinking about this week, just how much God's word has changed in my life. I mean, if you were to come up to me and you were to tell me 13 years ago, Byron, you're going to be a husband, you're going to be a dad, right? You're going to be a pastor of a church plant, moving into a brand new building in the heart of downtown, praying for revival in this city. If you would have told me that 13 years ago, I would have laughed in your face. Because 13 years ago, I was a strung out, drunk, homeless, punk rock kid sitting in a jail. And as I was sitting in that jail, my my grandmother, she came and visited me. And she visited me and she handed me a Bible. And I had nothing better to do than to read that book. So I'm sitting in jail and I'm reading that Bible. That was 13 years ago and I'm still reading that same Bible. And it's actually the Bible that I preach out of right now. Every single Sunday, I preach out of that same Bible because it reminds me just how much God's Word has changed me. And if you don't believe me, my SO number is written in the front. I'll show it to you after the service. 
This is the Bible my grandmother gave me while I was in jail, and I preach out of every single week because I believe so much that if you get the Word of God in your life, you will grow. God's Word is practical. God's Word is gradual. But lastly, God's Word is exponential. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we use from it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the ground is the smallest of all the seeds. Yet when is it sown in the ground, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and put out large branches so that the birds of the air can make its nest in its shade. Jesus says the mustard seed is the smallest seed. It starts very small. Right, That the word of God in your life, it starts very small. You may be wondering, how can this 2,000-year-old, outdated, antiquated book make any difference in my life? It starts very small. But if you get this word in your heart, then it grows exponentially. That the mustard seed is the smallest seed, but whenever it plants, whenever the roots dig down deep, the branches, they grow out wider and wider, so much so that it provides safety and shade for all those who walk by. And this is the same thing that Jesus wants to do in his disciples, in his church, and I believe in your life and mine as well. Think about who he's telling this to. This is the disciples, right? 12 men, ordinary average men, just like you. Right, ordinary men, 12 men that Jesus called, that Jesus chose. And these 12 men, they changed the world. 12 men became the beginnings and the foundation of a movement that would exponentially multiply to where every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every race, every ethnicity, every gender is worshiping, loving, serving Jesus Christ as their risen Lord, Savior, God, and King. 12 men has become 3.5 billion people on this planet. Why? Because one seed one seed can change the world. And I believe that this is what Jesus wants to do in your life, in your family, and in this church. Just think about what could happen in your life if you get God's word in it. Just think about how much you could grow. Just think about the people you could love, the people that you could serve, the people that we could reach as a church. If we get God's word in us, if we get God's word as the center of the church, if we let these seeds dig down deep, if we let the roots go down deeper, and if as a church we stretch our branches out wider, just think about how many people that we could reach. See, God's word is practical. Right? You let it shine. God's word is gradual. It takes time. And God's word is exponential. That he uses his word to change the world. And so my question for you is this. How is God's word changing the world through you? See, this is why it's so important for you to pay attention. This is not just another sermon. This is not just an object lesson. This is not just a lecture from a dead guy. This is God's word. It's living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. That God's word works. And when God's word goes forth, people's lives are changed forever because this is the word of God. And this is so important for us to be careful and to pay attention to what it is that we hear. And so now the disciples, they have to respond. The crowd hears the sermon that Jesus preaches. And so does the disciples. The disciples, they have to respond. So how are the disciples going to respond to what it is that Jesus preaches? The response of the disciples should be your response and my response every single day. It says they drew near to Jesus and he explained everything to them. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them. As they were able to hear it, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his disciples, he explained everything. Do you remember that fight I got in with my wife at the beginning of the sermon? Do you remember that? I'm sitting there. We're on the big brown couch. 
like we're spending time with one another and she's talking and she's pouring her heart out to me and I'm not paying attention. That's the same thing that we do with Jesus. That Jesus, he, he wants to get alone with us. That Jesus, he wants to reveal himself to us. Jesus, he wants to talk to us. He wants to spend time with us. He wants to be with us. He wants to explain everything to us. But many times we're distracted. That we're not paying attention that we're so concerned and consumed with the worries of the world, the weight of the world, and the worries of life that we miss out on the most important thing that's right in front of us. Jesus. And as you read through Mark's gospel, what you'll notice is that nobody knows who Jesus is. They totally miss it. He's right there in front of them, just like my wife was on the couch with me, right there in front of them, and they totally miss it. They miss Jesus. The disciples did, the Pharisees did, the religious leaders did, even his own family, they missed him. But through the word of God, you and me, by the Holy Spirit, have something unique. We can see who he is. That we can see him for who he is. That we can know him. That we can understand him. That we can grow in our knowledge of him. That we can take his words and we can apply it to our life and we can be different. See guys, listen. God's word is so important. Because God's word is so powerful. And many people come to the church and they, they come here and they're like, I just need a word from the Lord. I just need a word from the Lord. I just need a word from the Lord. Why won't God speak to me? Why won't God talk to me? Why won't God tell me who he is? He already has. The word of the Lord. That God's word, God has spoken. If you need a word from God, all you have to do is read the word of God. That God has perfectly revealed himself to us through his word. If I could encourage you and if I could challenge you to read the word. See, God is always speaking. The problem is, is we're not always listening. That we're not paying careful attention. We're not heeding the words that the Lord is speaking to us. But today, the Lord Jesus is preaching a sermon to your heart. and He's saying, pay careful attention because with what measure you use will be measured unto you. The one who has, more will be given. The one who has not, even what he has, will be taken away. Pay attention. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to close with a challenge. Okay? Because today we need some application. Application brings transformation. You're going to be responsible for this, so I want to make sure I do my job as a pastor. So here's my challenge for you. Right? Here's what you're going to do this week. Every single person in the room, right, wake up 30 minutes earlier this week and read the Bible. Okay, we're in Mark, read Mark every single day, right? Just give it that little extra time in the morning and read Mark's gospel. Start next week, verse 4, 34, and you can come back to church next week and we're going to teach it. And then you're going to come back to church and we're going to teach the next section. And you're going to hear another sermon and then another sermon and then another sermon. So this week, what I want you to do is I want you to pray through God's word. Start in verse chapter 4, go to the end of the book. If you hit the end of the book, start over. And then do it all over again. Read and pray, read and pray, read and pray. Just a little bit every single day. Because when you get God's word in your heart, God's word will change you. Don't miss it. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 9.30 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont.
kids are welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.